podcast number 131, entitled 52 Pickup, and it is really, in a way, a kind of um, Christmas and also New Year's podcast um, before the cast takes a little bit of a break, relevant to the season and the time of year. And the um, question that is asked by George Harrison so compellingly in that fantastic uh, song is a question that I'm thinking about more and more than ever, and I want to just reflect uh, a couple of uh, observations I've had. I've recently undergone uh, some surgery that uh, brought me into the um, place of kind of anesthesia, and um, it's a place to which one has gone before, and uh, you all know about that. And uh, in the aftermath, I saw some things even more clearly than I had before, uh, primarily because of the um, kind of breakup of mental impressions that occurs when you're kind of coming out of it, and then uh, further kind of pain medication in the aftermath of uh, this procedure. And it um, um, kind of very loyally underlined a couple of things that uh, I've tried to say that I think um, are important, and I wanted to underline them again for listeners to the cast in the hope that this will be of help and of interest. The uh, overwhelming um, experience that I had, and it's very similar to an experience that I talked about not very long ago while on an extremely long flight from the east to Chicago, in which um, I had this idea that so many things in my life and associations and people and incident and circumstances and uh, dreams and fantasies and also realities and individuals and impressions were kind of lying in vast numbers, sort of like Dover Beach, you know, ignorant armies clashing by night, uh, lying beneath the um, uh, seat on the airplane uh, when I was lying down to try to get some shut-eye. And then I had this picture, I think I told you about, of all these different experiences and things from 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 minutes ago, all kind of in a great conglomeration that was very heedless and random as uh, my mind attended to these things. And the overwhelming uh, impression that all these many um, circumstances that create a person, say, with my name, are uh, really, um, when you sort of yank the plug, are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of various impressions that have come together for a variety of relatively random reasons to have created this particular person at that particular time. And that's why the cast is called 52 Pickup, because um, when you realize if your life is in fact not one thing, but is in fact a, a completely circumstantial and remarkable and individual and to some extent captious or at least capricious uh, coming together of a great many different things, then you realize that whoever the person is, Paul Zal, say in my case, or whoever the names are in your case, is really this vast sort of collage. And the collage is continuing having new things put on it uh, and some old things taken away. And it's really this vast collection of things. Uh, Call it 52 Pickup. And this is why, really, um, it, it was a change for me to understand this about the human personality some time ago, because I had gone on the idea, which I think is partly resident in religion, uh, but is easily undone by life, uh, that um, there was a perduring, you know, concrete individual who nonetheless coheres. And... Um, 
my experience coming out of um, anesthesia of late and uh, pain medication, which you will say, well, that's just a mental state caused by a drug, and I uh, grant you that, but it felt profoundly true, and it was certainly true in a non-drug state uh, on an airplane, that all these things are kind of a mix, what some points of view call dependent arisings that give the highly conditioned character of reality. And let me go back further in this, because I'm moving to a hopeful point, and this is why you might call this a New Year's cast. What is life? Um, I want to say the following, that uh, life is a oneness rooted in the reality of the self, which is ultimately God, that 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 which is uh, within us is ultimately uh, that which is uh, lasting and universal inside each person is ultimately God, and that that's what lasts beyond death and was there before uh, birth, and that that's really the thing that we are needing to go inside to find. To quote Gerald Hurd, he said right up to the very last minute, and Gerald Hurd had one of the most creative and impressive dyings over a long period of several strokes of any recorded person in the life of religion. Um, there was no bitterness. There was no despondency. There was only a deepening wisdom of, of, a, of, a, of a bent that is a kind of concatenation of a number of religious impulses. But he uh, was increasingly inward and increasingly in touch and also oddly able to love and respect and even reach out to people who were still in the realm of this world, which is this realm of conditionedness. Now, um, you might say that this is a, an affirmation of, of uh, unity or monism as over against pluralism. And here, let's just take a quick hike to that very remarkable book uh, that occurs at Christmas time. It's a Christmas book called The Genius and the Goddess by, um, what, 1955 by Aldous Huxley. And it relates a young man's sort of pilgrimage psychosexually um, in an academic family where he's kind of a paying guest. And there's uh, the book is uh, covers a little bit of old territory, but it has um, a couple of very fascinating touches. And one of them is the fact that the... The second most important character, who is a confused but brilliant, um, um, highly sexualized and yet very accurately um, troubled and in some ways abused, although that's too strong a word, I would say a woman who is both under the thumb of her husband and also a woman who has a very highly independent life, ultimately within herself. This woman is with a kind of humor uh, caught by... Uh, Huxley reading William James. Now, I happen to love William James, so don't take this as this. I happen to identify with William James, so don't take this as a, an attack on William James. But it's wry because Huxley sees the character initially when the main character of the book, Genius and the Goddess, enters a room where this family is gathered on a Sunday after dinner. She's reading a book by James. And then in a later section, he comes upon her, and there she's peering deep. I think it's actually the book uh, Pluralism by um, James. And what Huxley is attempting to say, whether it's true of James or not, <clears throat> is that this woman is caught in a kind of <clears throat> understanding of herself which is pluralistic as opposed to one. That is to say, she understands that her life is many things and not just one thing, and that she is many people and just one, not one person. It's the George Herbert insight, you know. Um, I am 10,000 times the man I am in any day. By the way, never be... Um, captured by the false idea that we understand who we are. This whole identity fixation in our world is is, is profoundly, uh, I believe, not insightful because we don't know and we are 
inveterately moving into different places of who we are and different forms of who we are and different aspects of who we are given other things that affect us. So I'm not at all convinced that uh, this woman is not onto something when she sees that her life, and we discover that her life is actively compartmentalized into many different parts. Now, um, she in a way suffers a terrible fate for that because she isn't able really to connect with that which is universal and that which is the one. And I want to say that it is not so much a matter of being one and many at the same time. There are Christian theologians who want to argue that the great question in philosophy of the one and the many, which uh, you all remember is initially uh, underlined in Greek philosophy, although it's dealt with long before Plato, but it's dealt with in a somewhat um, Catholic or um, um, baseline way, is in his uh, Plato's dialogue, The Parmenides. And he comes up with, basically states the question rather than the answer. And I'm not at all convinced that the Trinity, which seems to me conceptual, is um, the answer to the question of the one and the many. What I'm here at this stage to report based on my drugged state after surgery, and I've been in this position before, but it always comes to the same thing, which is I discovered on the plane returning from Asia that um, we are actually many, but the manyness of our lives is not the enduring part. That is the capricious condition part. And that that which is enduring is the oneness, which in fact is universal. Let me give you an example of this. And uh, then I'll say one other thing. The uh, example of this that is um, overwhelmingly convincing, it seems to me, is the conclusion, but don't worry, it's not the ending in the um, 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 narrative sense, but it is an aspect of the conclusion to a very wonderful movie that has never really been appreciated, uh, although it's coming back a little bit, that was made in the, gosh, I think it was 1968, by David Lean, entitled Ryan's Daughter. And I won't go into a big thing, a scuzzy thing, on this remarkable movie, which is worth a, a really study just for its visuals alone. But there is a uh, situation in which a the village idiot who's played by John Mills, for which he, for which part he won an Oscar, um, who has a thing for the character of Ryan's daughter, Rosie, who is played by Sarah Miles. This very powerful, um, there's an exchange that goes on between the two. He is a village idiot who obviously is wrapped up in her, obsessed with her, but he's also mentally ill. Uh, uh, I guess we would say autistic, uh, very much the sort of Dustin Hoffman character in that other movie, but uh, more so. But he is, wouldn't you know, in the script, Robert Bolt's script in the play, the movie, not the play, the movie, he is the bearer of the divine understanding of life. He knows what's happening when no one else does, including those who are actually acting on their unconscious um, drives. And um, there is a point at which um, Sarah Miles understands that Michael understands her better than anyone with the possible exception of her wonderful husband, played by Robert Mitchum. And he does understand Sarah Miles. And there's an exchange between them. There's a look near the end. They've been adversaries for all the reasons you could imagine. I mean, ugh, you know, she must be thinking. Um, this smelly, dirty man who hangs around in a cave and uh, collects uh, articles of clothing, although he's not a, a pervert. Or, uh, that is to say, he's not obsessed in that particular way, but he is, he loves her. But there's a point, his love is pure. Oddly enough, it's regarded by the inner logic of the story as pure. And when he and she have a final sort of meeting, there's something that passes between them. 
It's a, it's a, it's beyond words. It's a, it's, it's, it's God. It's, it's that which is God in him and that which is God in her, that which is the true self, the one self in her passes through her eyes and her smile and her look into that which is one and beyond him in Michael's eyes and look and, um, um, amaze smile, or if that's the right word for it. And uh, something passes between them. This was shown me years ago uh, when, um, in a, a calling process in an Episcopal parish somewhere where a man, a very fine man had been called to be the rector of, uh, no, actually the associate rector and yes, the associate rector or assistant rector of a parish in the South, a rural parish. And, uh, I knew the parish very well and knew all the principles with great affection. And I said, well, what was it that made you all call this man who seemed so different from what you had had in recent years? And the um, woman who'd been in charge of the selection committee at that point said, well, um, he came and sat with us in the office where we were interviewing him and something passed between us. And I said, well, what was it? And she expressed herself with, with beauty. She said, a love subsisted between us, or we understood instantaneously that there was a love subsisting between uh, him and us on the committee. And it was a pure and wonderful thing. It was a very beautiful thing. It was nothing remotely other than that which I see in Rosie and Michael. And I see it in myself, and which is not really able to be passed through the very troubled, but also very deep character, the woman of the, the wife of the um, Nobel Prize winning physicist and the young man who whom she presents herself to uh, it's different because um, it doesn't because it's misshapen or it's mis, mis it's mis um, it's misdirected or perhaps it's mischanneled uh, into too much manyness and so the sexual is separated from the ethical which is separated from the um, dutiful which is separated from the maternal which is separated from the um, um, other the, the, even the mantle, and so when she's engrossed in books on pluralism by one particular philosopher whom I love, remember uh, something is important to be said, and I want to say that at this stage of the game, as we go into the new year, uh, consider um, um, the uh, virtues of oneness, not of manyness, and consider the fact that while I want to say that both are true, I don't believe that they're both true at the same time. I myself believe that the and this is my plain experience. This is what I actually believe that, and this is what I've I've had underlined uh, to my surprise by experience in the last ten years or so, or last seven years or whatever it is, basically since two thousand and seven. So I guess we're talking um, coming on to six years, that five and a half years, six and a half years. That the uh, that that which is. Um, is uh, you find that identity is not something that you can um, attach to the ego because it's many. We are many selves. We are many parts. We are many elements. You know, the book of the 104, is it? Whatever it is now currently. Uh, and yet the, the one thing that is uh, viable and the, 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 the fetus that is viable, the person that is viable and that which will, will, will uh, be there on the other side and is there now is the oneness of the presence of God within each one of us. Now, you can call that Gnostic, and I'm not going to say it's Gnostic because it's not a matter of some special knowledge, as Gnosticism supposedly is. It's a matter of a kind of um, 
sense that that we are united by something infinitely greater than this and it's not the sum of our parts the sum of our parts is is it doesn't do justice to this it's 52 pickup it's under the under the the resting chair on the airplane or wherever you are or the hospital bed as you're recovering from whatever you're recovering from or your own understanding when things fall apart in your life and things that you felt were absolutely the case about you are they fall apart i'm not that person anymore i don't even recognize myself good lord if that person were sitting here, I would I would abjure that person. What did Dante say to Beatrice? You know, you you think I should say hello to you, Beatrice, but I'm not that man. Well, that's what I wanted to leave with you. And I'm going to leave you with one other thing. If there is an ideological or rather conceptual or rather spiritual or rather theological or rather religious affirmation that I could offer you, uh, in relationship to this fact of life, that we are the oneness and not the manyness, although we only discover the oneness when the manyness collapses. You see, they're related. We we discover it's actually it's actually ex post facto. Uh, after we see the manyness, we come to see the oneness, and that is what I wanted to say. And until we see the manyness, and usually that happens in some kind of great collapse, catastrophe in our lives that really does blow us up, we then begin to be in a position, you know, like uh, what is it like uh, in uh, that one. The Iron Man, the Iron Robot, the Iron Giant, the Iron Giant, when all the parts come back together, first we're blown apart, and then the parts come together, but they come back together in the new man. This is the new creation, and this is what the Bible is talking about. And I wanted to finish with um, those things which I believe are expressed in the final bit of music, which I happen to love, which we're going to hear shortly. And uh, that's my Christmas gift to you at the end of the year 2012. And um, that uh, uh, profoundly religious understanding of life is that ultimately God, to quote Ignaton at the end of that amazing script for that wonderful movie, which I think personally is worthy of an obsession, but there are all sorts of things that are worthy of, a, of an obsession. But it, because of the, the, the one thing that it said, it says two things at the end, but when Ignaton, played by Michael Wilding, the proto-hippie, says, um, God forgives everyone, to Sinaway, the, the magician, Sinaway, the physician, when Ignaton says, God forgives everyone. He is at the heart of that which is the uh, extra Christianum. It's not enough to say that we are simply one, but the nature of the one is benign and the nature of the Christmas one. The um, God with us, Emmanuel, he shall save his people from their sins. And that's how I want to end. And I do wish you, uh, in the true sense that Journey and Steve Perry once reached his their following on MTV, uh, Merry Christmas, dear friends and sisters and brothers, and a Happy New Year. Now listen to this expression. Said the night wind to the little lamb In the sky, little lamb Do you see what I see? A star, a star Dancing in the night With a tail as big as a kite With a tail as big as a kite Little
Yeah. 